Well, if you would, turn to 2 Timothy 2. Hey, uh, Tom, is there any way we could get the whiteboard, the roller? I meant to get that earlier. If we could get it, it'd be fantastic. Um, if not, we'll use the whiteboard that's in this side room. And we're in 2 Timothy. Uh, those of you who've just joined us, we're looking at Paul's last letter. Uh, we've, we've mentioned that the Pauline epistles are arranged by size uh, in the canon, which might surprise you. Uh, but chronologically, this is the last letter that he wrote. We mentioned this is in the late 60s. He's, he's imprisoned where, did we say? Rome, right? And the structure of this book is typical of other epistolary uh, or letter-type genre in the first century. It opens up with a greeting. We saw that. In fact, I just want to, forgive me for insulting your intelligence, but I want to go back to this. Just look at this just briefly. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to further the promise of life. He's, in, he's facing death's door, but where, where is the life? It's found in Christ, right? And that's going to be vital. Uh, we're going to see that even again in this passage that we're looking at. Um, and as we mentioned, he's kind of like a peacock with his feathers out. I'm an apostle. Don't mess with me by the will of God. Why would he do that to dear sweet Timothy, who knows he's an apostle, who has a relationship with him? We said because of the false teachers that are now in the church, and they're creating great havoc in the church. And so uh, he's saying, look out. So he's writing to Timothy, though, again, this is to be read orally in the church, uh, publicly. And so this is a message to all people. Uh, it says, grace, mercy, and peace. And mercy is a unique term in the greetings of Paul's letters. It's found only in the pastoral epistles, which is interesting, but it, it's what they need in the midst of suffering. And then we looked at the thanksgiving, which is 3 through 14 of chapter 1, actually 3 through 18. Well, 3 through 14 is the, the bulk of that thanksgiving. And the themes that he weaves in the text are going to be teased out of those verses that we looked at. And if you weren't here last week, there's a set of notes, and I'd grab one of those. They're free, so go for it. In verses 15 through 17, it's kind of the hall of shame and uh, fame <laughs> because he lists two very bad boys and he lists one good fella uh, and says, you know, this is, this, is, you, this is what you don't want to do. This is what has happened that's good. And he piggybacks off of that now in chapter 2. So let's look at this. <clears throat> in the Greek, it's very interesting. He starts with Sue. He starts with you, you. We've looked at these people. Now, Timothy, I'm coming back to you. Don't miss this. He says, so you, my child, which is interesting. It's not the first time he's referred to him as such. Remember verse 2 uh, of chapter 1, my dear child. So we see this being echoed. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, again, we've already seen the subject of grace. He's going to, again... A lot of the themes that we saw in verses 3 through 14 are going to come through in these 13 verses we're looking at. And entrust what you heard me say in the presence of many other witnesses to faithful people who will be competent to teach others as well. Take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one in military service gets entangled in matters of everyday life. Otherwise, he will not please the one who recruited him. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, 
he will not be crowned as the winner unless he competes according to the rules. Thank you, men. The former who works hard ought to have the first share of the crops. Think, he comes back to this, right, about what I'm saying, and the Lord will give you understanding of all this. Remember, and that term should sound familiar. He used it five times in the first chapter. He refers again, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David, such is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship to the point of imprisonment as a criminal. That's a loaded term. Uh, it's used of the worst of criminals. <laughs> uh, that term is used for people who are crucified in the first century. So in other words, uh, what I've done is, is, would be seen as being on death row. I'm so bad. Uh, that's the, how I'm being treated. But God's message is not imprisoned. So I endure all things for the sake of the chosen by God, that they too may obtain salvation to Christ Jesus and its eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, and here it is. If we died with Him, He will also live with Him. If we endure, He will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful since he cannot deny himself. Well, as I said, several of these themes that we've seen in the first part of, of 2 Timothy come screaming through chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 13, and I mentioned that there in your opening. But let's get to this, this first part of the, the section here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We're going to see three commands that he gives, and then he's going to give three illustrations, and then he's going to hammer that all home with another command, all right? So Paul sounds a little bossy here. <laughs> Timothy, sit up. Listen. I got some. In fact, uh, it's very strong uh, when he says, listen up. We'll talk about this, but his commands are very direct. The first of these commands there in your notes is to be strong. Now, where do we find strength and power? Paul's already told us in this letter. Look at chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? What's he say in verse 7 of chapter 1? Power, power and of love and of self-control. Do not be ashamed. There it is, right? This power is not a foreign thing to you. You understand it because you, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which is synonymous with power. That's where it comes. And he says the source of the power, notice in chapter 2, verse 1, that is in where Christ Jesus. That's key. That's key to the, uh, the salvation and, and uh, Christology, as we call it, the study of Christ, is vital to 2 Timothy. It, it, it's going to drive Paul's ethics along with eschatology, but it drives Paul's ethics. It drives Paul's uh, instructions that we see that he's giving. And the first part here of being strong, uh, a much needed message, isn't it? We got little Timmy. He's a little timid, right? Chapter one, we see that. Um, in fact, why would he be? Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, entire province of Asia, everyone's deserted Paul. You start pulling out their fingernails for the cause of Christ, you know, people are going to squeal or they're going to run. <laughs> uh, 
I was reading the news, they were concerned about whether Christians and Coptic Christians in Egypt would attend church services because of what happened the previous Sunday. Their attendances were very good. Uh, and, and one said, as a follower of Christ, I'm not afraid. Right? But that's the real danger when persecu- persecution occurs. Um, amazes me in the workplace. You know, you, you know, people make ridicule someone for taking a stand for Christ and everyone cowers. You, you wonder where the Christians are at that point, you know? And that's nothing compared to what's going on around the globe. And, and Timothy says, listen, you need to be strong. Secondly, he tells them, listen, what I've given to you, you're going to entrust to faithful people. <coughs> Implication, you're faithful. We, he's talked about Timothy's faith in chapter 1. You need to continue that and who that you give it to. Notice he says this. Look at the text again here. It says, entrust what you heard me say in the presence of many others. Some argue this is his ordination service. I don't think so. I think it's the public teaching that Paul has delivered. Uh, nothing's private. It's all out in the open. Unlike the false teachers who love secrecy, Timothy or Paul saying, I, I didn't do anything in secret. I have a clear conscience of what I did. It was public, and that public teaching you had is what you need to do. Notice what he says as well. These faithful people... How does he just, what else has to be true of them? Not only need to be faithful, what else does the text say? Yeah, able to teach, right? Uh, <clears throat> one of the difficult things that I did in training uh, often had, well, when I taught Greek, I had most of the guys were looking to go on to seminary. <clears throat> and uh, there's a couple I've pulled aside and said, you know what, I'm not sure ministry is for you. <laughs> Uh, they couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag when it came to delivering their exegetical paper in the class. And it would be an injustice to them, it's an injustice to the church, right? Um, they're, you know, that's not a, it's something I take lightly. But, uh, you know, uh, if they can't teach, uh, they, they don't need to be doing it. And that's what he says here, right? They're competent to teach others as well. That's part of the stipulation here. Again, it indicates that Timothy is gifted, and I think he is. Paul's uh, poured a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of resources into this young man. The mention of competency there is, is listed in your notes. and implies, this is from Towner in his commentary, implies a divinely bestowed aptitude that makes them sufficient for the task. Uh, and that's important, he says. Um, so Paul is concerned not only about the message He's concerned about the way it is delivered and who is delivering it, right? This is vital. Uh, For those of you in ministry, whether formal or informal, uh, take heed here, right? There's some things to take note of. Um, We don't need a pity staff on a church. (laughs) They need to be people who are qualified to do the job. Otherwise, get rid of them. That sounds awful. You didn't hear me say that. Is this recorded? Oh, well. All right. and, and then finally, he says to Timothy, not only be strong, not only trust it, but you need to join in the suffering. Should not surprise us. He mentioned this in chapter 1. He mentions it again here, right? Uh, take your share of suffering. Set up. Take nourishment. Right? And this becomes the central theme of this entire book. It really does. Um, you cannot 
cower in the Christian walk, Timothy, is what Paul is reminding him of. He then utilizes three very interesting illustrations to talk about this being uh, strong in the midst of suffering and, and, and so forth. He uses a soldier, which undoubtedly Paul is very familiar with. <laughs> He's had a lot of interaction with soldiers. All right. Uh, he will use an athlete, which I would argue Paul has had a lot of exposure as well. When he's tent-making in Corinth in the 50s, it's not a coincidence. That's the Isthmian Games. He's making tents for all the people who come in for the games, one of the Olympic-type festivities that were held in the ancient world. What, right? what games? Isthmian. I'm, yeah. I-S-T-H-M-I-A-N. I may be spelling it, saying it wrong. Isthmian, yeah. Uh, games that were held in Corinth. And the third illustration he will use is a farmer, which again, um, all of these occupations his audience would be very familiar with. Anyone living in a Greco-Roman world, right? They would know these occupations well. They would be exposed to them. But here's the question, and there's space in your notes, so I like to, to work through this. What are some similarities between these three illustrations. What are some illustrations that, uh, or similarities in these traits that we see? Uh, th just help me out. Let's just, just make a list of them. What do you see going on here? Okay, I see one is dedication. There's no doubt about that, right? Hard work. By, by the way, the dedication is the major focus of the soldier illustration. Did you see that? Look what it says. <clears throat> You're talking about single devotion, dedicated. You're not entangled in the matters of everyday life. That's the living. That's the buying, the selling, etc. You're, 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 you're honed in on a particular thing. That's the problem with Demas. Look at chapter 4. Remember Demas? That louse? says in chapter 4, verse 10, For Demas deserted me since he loved what? The present age. He loved the world. <laughs> well, that's why he chucked it. And Paul said, Timothy, don't be like Demas. I want you to be like a soldier who's zeroed in, a laser beam on what needs to be done. Hard work. What else do we see? Okay, there's sacrifice, and then I heard, and that's a good one. Yes. And what was the next one I heard, Steve? Yeah, there's a plan in, in place. The athlete, for instance, right? It's stressed with the athlete. What it looks what it, look what it says. <clears throat> He's got to follow the rules. In the Greco-Roman world, that's a 10-month training process that was required before you could enter the games. I'm sure it was before that as well. But they had to demonstrate the 10 months worth of exercise, I guess. Right? Uh, it's vital. It was essential. What else do we see? Results-oriented. Yes. There are results, right? There's goals. Look at the farmer. Two things are said about the farmer. What's said about the farmer? What do you see? Yeah, he has the rights to the first fruits. Now, um, scholars debate on that. I think what he's... The ultimate thing here, the illustration, is that uh, like Timothy, we, or like the farmer, we have the blessings of the eternal life and all that comes, the crown of righteousness we're going to see later in 2 Tim, Timothy. 
So I think that's what he's dealing with, not the present age as much. Good. What else about the farmer? He has the rights to enjoy it. What else do we see? Yeah. And, and, and that work expects a return, doesn't it? Right? Uh, we used to have a garden, huge garden growing up. It was a good old German-American home. And uh, 7 o'clock on Saturday mornings, there was a knock at the door. Time to get up. So we go work in the garden. And, uh, but there's nothing better than having the first vegetables and the first fruit out of the small orchard that we had. You know, ooh, that's good stuff. But you worked hard to get it. But that's, that's part of the, the, the point that he's making here. Yes, Jeff? That's right. No, but we work, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling and standing fast, etc. is the rewards that come with that. The same word here for the, the athlete, the Stephanus, the wreath, the imperishable crown is given to the believer later we see in chapter 4 of this book. So there is that, no, salvation isn't by faith, or by, it's by faith, not by works, but the works, uh, the, there is a reward for those. And that's what he's trying to stress to Timothy. Yeah, Dick. Uh, regarding the soldier, uh, my version says uh, he's not to get entangled in civilian affairs. It doesn't talk about any uh, spoils. Uh, and it also says that his, his only aim is to please uh, the one who he serves, who enlisted him. So uh, he's not being rewarded in the same way that the farmer would be. That's a good point. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, uh, and the commander-in-chief is Christ, the good soldier of Christ, right? Yep, good, good, thank you. What else do you see? There is so much here that we could run with. In fact, uh, one of the exercises I would give in Bible study methods is that you had to lay out all the similarities between, you had to write a six- to eight-page paper, so I'm not making you do that this morning, but there are a lot of similarities between these three occupations. Yeah. A single purpose. Good. Anything else? Yeah, Jason. Perseverance. Good. Yep. And any others? Yes, Jeff. Okay, let's tie it into the, the uh, how are these illustrations being tied into to Timothy? What do we see here? Again, they, they spring out of the third command, take your share of suffering, and then he lists these three. How do we tie this together? Yes, Paul. Obedience requires hardship. It has its rewards. But it's not an easy task to do. And with that, it will be suffering as you obediently follow Christ. Yep. The issues of obedience, Gail. Yeah, to some level. 
uh, the, the, an issue of, of uh, struggling with the world in which they live? Yep. Yes. And Dave? Yeah, there, there's certainly that. There's uh, strategies that need to be thought through, etc. The soldiers more just taking the orders, but they're still having to think through that and how best to serve. I think that's why he closes in verse 7. Think about what I'm saying, and the Lord will give you understanding. The bottom line is the Christian life is not easy. You're going, thanks, Hophetitz. I didn't need to get up this morning to hear that. I knew that already. But that's the point of these illustrations, isn't it? Uh, you can't sit on your laurels and think you're going to grow spiritually. <laughs> as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer, they're all proactive, aren't they? Uh, if you had a soldier that never got out of the bunk bed, then you'd have a few things to do <laughs> after that. It's physical. It's physical. There's, you know, I mentioned this last week. Um, Howard Henricks, who was a dear friend and mentor, said it many times. He said, an effective ministry has a very high price tag. And it does. It does. Now, the good news, it's worth every ounce of sweat. It's worth every dollar you spend. That's the good news. And that's what we're going to see in this letter. Uh, a couple comments, and then I'm going to move ahead. Ron? Yeah. Starting mentally good. Romans twelve. Yep. It starts here, and then one more. That's a good point, and that's true in the service of the Lord, isn't it? Uh, you labor, you labor, and sometimes you, you think, Lord, are you still there? Um, and, and Paul is saying to Timothy, listen, you need to be strong. You need to be faithful in how you carry forth with this ministry. And third, as he sees here, you're going to have to take part in the suffering. It's inevitable. And again, you're saying, thanks, Hoffaditz. I didn't need that this morning. I already knew it. But uh, it's, it is a reminder, the top of next page, uh, I mentioned that this whole think about this literally is listen up. This is what I have for you to know. This is what I have for you to learn in this process. The good news, I think, is found in the next several verses. Uh, they aren't easy, all right? So that's uh, put, you know, as a good soldier, pull up your bootstraps because here we go. Remember Jesus Christ. He now looks to the message. <clears throat> as we saw in chapter one, Paul uses his, his own life as an example for, for Timothy, doesn't he? I suffered in the faith. You're going to suffer in the faith. I was faithful. You're going to be faithful, right? Now he looks to Christ, which is very interesting. He's going to look to Christ, and he will look to himself, but he looks to two things. He says, remember Christ raised from the dead, that is the gospel, and verse 9, and look at me who has suffered greatly for the gospel. I want you to see this, 
right? Wake up, Timothy. Now, it's very interesting. There are several things he, he uses in describing this gospel. I want you to see this. He says, remember Jesus Christ. This is interesting. Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 2 and verse 3 and tell me what is the difference. You see Jesus Christ in verse 8, but what do you see in verse 1 of chapter 2, verse 3 of chapter 2, verse 10 of chapter 2? What's the order? Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ. You know, how often that you're making a lot of that. It is very unusual for Paul to mention Jesus Christ. It Christ it's always usually Christ Jesus. And I think he's stressing his humanity and what he went through on this earth. He said, this man Jesus, who is the Meshua, the Christ, raised from the dead, and that's a perfect tense in the Greek, which means it happened in the past, but it has ongoing effect. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it's a perfect tense in the Greek. It's so powerful because what it's saying is it is accomplished at this moment, but it has ongoing ramifications. We have no way to render that in English very well, unless you want to get extremely wordy, uh, and that's unfortunate. Raised from the dead, a descendant of David. Notice what he says about this gospel. First of all, it's about and from Jesus Christ. That's the focus, right? If he suffered, so will you right? Uh, secondly, it's accomplished through Christ's resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, Easter Sunday, right? That's the whole point. This, this thing is, and, and, and he's raised from the dead, which means he died. <laughs> and everyone knows how he died, right? Crucifixion. So he too suffered. In fact, I think mentioning the lineage of David could be also accentuating uh, his physical suffering here on earth. That is that he did dwell among us. He did descend from humanity. And I know you're saying, oh, well, that's often a reference to uh, King David, you know, and that he's the Messiah. Uh, yes, but this is an interesting way to phrase this as well. Uh, and studies have been shown that it's not the typical way to say he's a descendant of David in the sense of Davidic line. He seems to be stressing his humanity, his incarnation. That is, he took on flesh which is very interesting. And then, if that isn't top at all, all, look what he says at the end of verse 8. He uses a pronoun. Whose gospel? My gospel. Well, aren't you hot stuff, right? What in the world do you mean by that? Well, look at 1 Timothy 1.1. Let's look at 1 Timothy 1.1. It's important that we look at what we call, again, the pastoral epistles, that is Titus, First and Second Timothy together, um, because there's much overlap in the theology and, and stress. In chapter one, verse eleven, notice what Paul says: "This accords with the glorious gospel of the blessed of God that was entrusted to who, me." Second Timothy, one one. I'm an apostle by the will of God. <laughs> Comes out the feathers, right? Uh, he. Timothy, we're going to deal with the false teachers. We'll get to them in, a, in, a, in time in this letter of 2 Timothy. And, and again, uh, we have false teachers who have not been called by the will of God, who do not have a message that is the, of the, the right one. And Paul says, no, it's my message that is, needs to be stressed. That's the one I have entrusted to you. This is the one you will deliver. So it's, it's imperative. So that my in verse 8 is extremely significant. 
If you were to make observations as good Bible students, you would list that. You would say, my gospel is being stressed here. Yes, it is. It's vital to the text. And then he says, for which I suffer to the point of imprisonment. And we mentioned this. And I love he plays off the, the idea of being bound. He says, I'm bound, but God's word is not bound. Isn't that great? Uh, there's nothing that's chaining this sucker. That's the whole point of Acts, by the way. Paul says in Acts 20, I count it all lost for the cause of Christ. And, you know, you see these people suffering and being imprisoned in Acts. But it's not about people. It's about the gospel going forth. You end in Acts. How does Acts end? Where's Paul? Charging Mars Hill on a fourth missionary journey down to Riba, Spain? No, where, where is he at the end of Acts? He's in prison. And you're going, oh, that's a bummer of waiting in the book. No, because it's not about Paul. It's about the gospel, which continues to flourish. And it keeps saying, it goes out, and the, and the church increases. It keeps growing. And Paul says, listen, God's word, nothing's going to stop it. Not an ISIS, right? Not that jerk of a manager at the workplace. Nope, nothing's going to stop the gospel. It's moving forward full steam ahead. Well, he then says, endure all these things for the sake of the chosen of God. In fact, he mentions two things of why he endures this. One is for God's glory. The second is for those people who need to hear the gospel. Right? By the way, notice there's nothing about himself, is there? Right? I don't do this so I can get some glory. That's the false teachers. I do this so Christ is gloried and this, that those will hear the gospel. That's why I do what I do. And then he says, this saying is trustworthy, and he illustrates it with four conditional statements, and they are not easy. But let's look at them. Let's unpack these. He says in these, first of all, the first one we see is, if we die, we also live. And I don't think he's referring about martyrdom here. I believe he's talking about uh, being dead in Christ and raised with him, Romans 6. Uh, I think is what he's addressing here, our spiritual union with Christ. If we endure, he will also reign with us. That's a loaded term there, and I mentioned in your notes, to endure usually speaks of steadfast endurance of the Christian in the midst of difficulties. Hebrews 3.6, we are of God's household if in, fast, in fact we hold fast to these things, Right? That's the demonstration that you're truly His. Uh, we will endure. That's the whole point of Hebrews. Don't chuck it. Then he says in this, the third conditional, if we deny Him, He will deny us. Now, this is where it gets problematic. Does this mean you'll lose your salvation? I'd argue, no, you were never saved. Uh, Jesus said, depart from me, I, What? never knew you. I once knew you, and now I don't. No, I never knew you. Look, uh, uh, Knight says in his commentary, denial of Christ manifests itself in various ways in the New Testament. Uh, it could be denying his name or faith in him, or it could be seen in the moral realm. Some profess to know God, but their deeds, they deny him. And we see that in 1 Timothy 5.8. Uh, they give lip service but as James says, their faith is never genuine because it, it, 
their works demonstrate they do not have genuine faith. They are not of God's household, or they would have held fast to these things. And so he says, if we, and then it's interesting, he says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Go, whoa, how do you reconcile that with the, the third conditional statement? And I think he's talking about those who temporarily waver in the faith. They've not, they've not fell into the realm of unbelief. They've not denied the Lord, but they're struggling in the midst of adversity. And isn't it great? He will remain faithful. Right? Struggle in your walk from time to time. In fact, look what he says in verse 13, the last part. Since he cannot deny himself. His faithfulness is rooted in his very nature. If he's not faithful, he's no longer God. His character is bound up in his faithfulness to you. That's amazing. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I'd say, "Ah, Ron Page, you're done for. (laughs) No, but he doesn't do that, does he? he? Just teasing you, Ron. He is faithful, and his character is based on it. Questions or comments on that last part? It's not an easy text. There's no doubt about it. Some think that Paul is in, is, uh, incorporated a, a, an early hymn in the church. I think this is Paul's uh, creation. I think he's teased some things together. It is poetic in nature, but um, uh, it's interesting, that, that section. Questions or comments? Well, you say, Havadit, so what? I'm not in AD 67, 68. I'm not in prison under the realm of Rome. What does this mean for me this morning? Let me give you three things to walk away with. Number one, as a believer, we are identified with Christ, but our union with Him, excuse me, both in our union with Him and our suffering for Him. Uh, 1 Peter, if you would turn there. I love the Petrine epistles. Um, You realize Peter should have went and hung himself just like Judas. He denied the Savior. And yet God was gracious, and we see a great example of how while he was unfaithful, God is faithful. And 1 Peter 4, 12, and 1 Peter, by the way, is known as the epistle of grace. (laughs) Uh, He should know a lot about grace. Dear friends, do not be astonished that a trial by fire is occurring among you as though something strange was happening. Now, he's not talking about a literal fire, but a fire of persecution. He says, but rejoice in the degree that you shared in the sufferings of Christ. Sound familiar? So that when his glory is revealed, you may also rejoice and be glad. Similar to uh, Peter, we see in Paul's writings, again, look back at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, so that we too may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus and its what? Eternal glory. Visiting Dale DePoy in the hospital and seeing all those tubes, you realize life is, is short. And he was like, why do we do what we do? Who said you had another 5, 10, 20 years of your life? Right? I was thinking of Pete, who, who now has obligations on the mornings. Pete Erickson, who usually attends. I mean, he was hit over, he's walking the street here in Carmel. 
Yet God spared his life. We don't know. We don't know what God's timetable holds. And I love that Paul is very cognizant, especially now as he's, he's staring death in the face. There's an eternal glory that awaits. And we identify with Christ, and, and, and this temporary suffering pales in comparison to the glory that awaits us. Well, I'm starting to preach. Let me go to the next one. Believers should fear the very idea of denying Christ, but never the privilege of suffering for Christ. And yet, I talk to people who espouse the name of the Lord, and they're far more concerned about having their toenails ripped out than they are the idea that they might walk away from the faith. Uh, Romans 8, look at Romans 8. I'm going to show you this text. Verses 15 through 18. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery leaning again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then heirs, namely heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. And I love the next verse. For I consider our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the glory that will be revealed. That's why that mother of a son, the mother who's lost her son to ISIS said, hey, I rejoice because ISIS had the opportunity to usher my son into the presence of God's glory and he suffered for the Lord. So um, believers shouldn't fear the very idea of denying, but rather the privilege of, of suffering for Christ should be embraced. And then finally, God's faithfulness to his promises does not depend on our faithfulness. Thank goodness, right? It doesn't depend on the faithfulness of your pastor or your Bible teachers. No, the Lord guarantees he will sanctify and preserve his people. This is, look at 1 Thessalonians. This is, to me, worth coming today just to, to hear this reminder from Paul's words to the church at Thessaloniki. Chapter 1, uh, uh, chapter 5, excuse me, uh, there's a benediction to this epistle. And, and he says, Now, may the God of peace himself make you completely holy, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept entirely blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the subject? God. And he's the God of peace, which this church desperately needs as they are suffering for their faith. He who calls you is trustworthy, and he will, in fact, do this, right? And some of you, I know one individual came up afterwards last week and said, I lost my job, early retirement, because I wouldn't embrace some certain lifestyles at the workplace. And some of you are, you're suffering at different levels, uh, or you have individuals who are, uh, it's a great reminder hold fast. In the process, remember we serve a faithful God who will remain faithful because His reputation is on the line. Isn't that great? Father, we just thank You for Your Word. It's just, a, you know, uh, these truths this morning, yeah, we knew these, uh, but to be reminded that indeed You are a faithful God and we are Yours. 
Father, we should be the happiest lot of men you've ever seen, just knowing that our God reigns, our God lives, and our God is faithful. And Lord, we thank you. Help us to be faithful soldiers, faithful athletes, faithful farmers for you as we embrace the cross, as we identify with your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.